Hi, my name is Molly Wistie, and I'm coming to you from northern Minnesota. I'm a chainsaw carver, and I've been carving since about 2008. Uh, but this podcast isn't going to be about me. This podcast is going to be about chainsaw carving in general and about all the great chainsaw carvers out there. Uh, the thing that inspired this podcast, I listened to a lot of podcasts, and I really enjoyed how at the Ridgeway Rendezvous, they... Uh, taped sessions and put them out on YouTube. And I've always enjoyed watching those when I can't get out to the rendezvous. And I've been searching for a podcast about chainsaw carving or anything close uh, thereabouts. And I haven't been able to find anything. And I've talked to other people who agreed that they haven't been able to find anything. So I'm going to give this a try and see if we can start a chainsaw carving podcast. Uh, today, the podcast uh, we're going to be talking to Mr. Steve Higgins. And Steve wanted to talk to you guys today about how to earn money and still keep your heart alive. So in just a minute here, I'll get Steve on and we'll see what he has to say. All right, so I'm here and I have Steve Higgins on. And um, I'm just going to go ahead, Steve, and start asking you questions if that's okay. Or do you want to say hi first? Hello. <laughs> Hello, podcast world. Yes. All you out there on the interweb. <laughs> so, Steve, I already kind of told our audience what you were going to be talking to people about today. So I'll just go ahead and ask you the first question that I have for you. Um, how important is it for chainsaw carvers to have business sense? And like, if they don't have a business sense, is it something that can be learned? That's a really great question. One of the uh, one of the reasons that if I could back up just a little bit, it would be asking why you were doing chainsaw carving in the first place. Because when you're an artist, uh, an artist is one of the occupations where you can transcend a lot of the layers and the org charts that people put in society. And as an artist, you can, um, I, I've been in very wealthy people's homes and high-end high politicians uh, that are governors of some countries and uh, been down with people that, you know, are in trailer parks. And uh, it's just, you, you meet so many people across all stratuses of society. And as a sculptor, you can move in between them that isn't, um, I know that we don't really have a caste system in Western society like we did in the feudal ages, but there there is still some... Uh, some layers where you associate and rank yourself with certain demographic groups. And an artist has the ability to move between all of these. And as far as saying, uh, do you need business sense to be an artist? Uh, it depends on the kind of it, why you're doing what you're doing and, and what it is that you like. Sometimes the more outlandish that you are, uh, the, the more attractive that that is. Like Salvador Dali said, Dali, Dali, Dali. Every day people must always be talking about Dali. And uh, he did some weird egocentric um, things that were really outlandish. And it wasn't necessarily a polished business practice with a marketing team, but it, it worked for him. And uh, it mostly it depends on what you're going after and what you're, if you can begin with the end in mind, uh, if you're, if you're wanting to be a competitive sculptor, um, it, it, certainly people skills are something that are just essential because business 
exists between people. So if, if you don't know how to talk to somebody, if you don't know how to listen to them, some books on sales are really helpful to just understand the psychology of what goes on inside of a person and why they choose to buy. Um, so yeah, business, business is helpful. Like what we should probably be having a podcast about is taxes, uh, for chainsaw carvers because everybody loves to get out in the sawdust and we like as men specifically, we like to spend time in areas where we feel successful. And, uh, if we're in, the wood carving industry, it's probably because we like working with our hands and getting lots of compliments, uh, which is, is one of the, one of the, the few jobs in the world where every time you interact with a customer and sell them something, they're just having a great day. Like I'd hate to be a tow truck driver. And every time that I show up, somebody's having their worst day ever. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So business sense is helpful. I think we should you should identify the areas where you're the weakest. If you're the weakest in um, sales, like you can carve a beautiful sculpture, but if you don't know how to interact with somebody and sell it to them, then that that's not good at all. And if you don't understand the the tax liabilities and situations and the benefits of an LLC over an S corp or a sole proprietor, then then that's going to be difficult as well because you're not going to. Um, you're not going to have the the staying power and the longevity that it, it takes to grow. But if, if you're just doing it for fun and you're happy with making, I think the threshold of when you actually have to file taxes is something like $15,000 a year. So if you're planning on making less than $15,000 a year, then maybe you don't need to worry about that at all. But the, the, the thing to start with is asking what you want, because if you don't know what you want, you don't know what you're going for, then it, it, um, yeah, and it's not to judge anybody, but sometimes a person with no business sense is just fine if that's what they want, you know. Right. That, that's why communism uh, and socialism doesn't necessarily uh, work super great. And I, I really don't want to bring politics into it too much, but the analogy would be some people, all that they want out of life is just to sit on a couch and to have a six pack of beer and a television in front of them. And they will work just as hard as it takes to get a couch and a television and a six pack of beer. And then they'll stop because they're satisfied. And you, you can try to make them feel guilty that they should want more or nag them or whatever, but that's what's inside of them that they want for themselves. And they're going to conjure up the amount of motivation to get them to that place in life. And some people want a beautiful, lake home and a two-car garage with fairly new vehicles in there and they want their kids to go to private school and they will work as hard as they need to and they'll be creative and come up with the amount of solutions to meet the expectations that they put they're putting on themselves and so it, it just it's more a question of what you're satisfied with because whenever you reach a level where you're satisfied either in art or in business or in relationships that's when you stop growing so I really like that idea of starting um, with the end in mind. We talk, we talk about that a lot in education too, because otherwise you just, you don't really know where you're going and that's kind of how you set all those goals. Yeah. It, it's just like a, having a, a GPS. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine how I got around the country driving places before we had GPSs, but even just going across town these days, I, I find myself, Hey Siri, you know, get directions to Chipotle. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I actually, 
just what you were talking about kind of reminds me when I am down in southern Minnesota, if my father-in-law is around, yeah, I sell way more carvings because he's just really social and he connects with everybody that he talks to. And when he's there, my carvings double, like my sales double. <laughs> I need to take lessons from him. Yeah, that, that's great. And um, I, I went on a little bit of a tangent there talking about GPSs. But the idea that I had in mind, I wanted to just wrap that up was, if you don't plug in the the end address, then you don't know where you are and you might become satisfied with stopping before you get to your destination. Like I live in Kansas City and if if uh, we went on a road trip and I didn't know where I was headed, I meant, might end up driving out in Kansas somewhere, which is a very difficult state to drive across because there's not a whole lot going on. But unless I had a vision in my mind that I was headed to the mountains of Colorado, then I might just stop somewhere where there was water and a nice shade tree instead of continuing going until I hit hit the uh, beautiful, you know, mountains that I was looking for. And right. uh, it, what you're saying about your father-in-law, like, I've noticed this before, too, because I've um, when you when you get around other people uh, that are selling their carvings and you're sitting up right next to them, sometimes you'll have a better product than that other person. But people don't just buy art uh, for the sake of the art's sake. Like they're also buying the artist behind the artwork. And so if you're somebody that engages and interacts with them and is likable, then that they transfer that onto the art as well. So, you know, making sure to smile and greet people and talk with them, uh, it, it goes a long ways. It really does. Yeah. Okay, so on to my next question. Yes. Uh, it can be really tough to earn a living and keep your love for carving. So do you have any tips for keeping a balance there? Yeah, so it is a balance. Um, a lot of times people ask me that don't know me much if they first meet me or they see me carving, they say, uh, you do this as a full-time job? And uh, <laughs> I say, every time a bill comes in, I got to go carve something. And the bills don't stop coming, so I keep on carving. <laughs> and um, I was... Uh, I was driving across New Mexico one time and uh, this little pickup and probably doing 55 miles an hour. And this guy comes past and he has this, this trailer on, he has this big bugling bronze elk in the back of it. And it's beautiful. And he just flies by 80 miles an hour. And I, I see him at a, a, at a gas station. We end up being at a pump right next to each other a little further down the way. And uh, this guy's like a high end artist. He was just coming from a big game show. And I said, Hey, can I show you some of my stuff? And I pulled out my portfolio and, trying to like get some advice and he says uh you're really good at what you do and you're gonna sell some of this and and make a chunk of change and the first thing you're gonna want to do is you're gonna want to go out and buy a brand new truck he says don't do that because when you do that uh you're gonna have these bills and this debt and then you're just gonna start chasing the money and when you chase the money then you stop doing art and um as far as chasing the money goes uh there's there is a balance in that because throughout most of human history the artists have had to either find a wealthy benefactor or maybe the like the catholic church and do not necessarily what whatever they feel moved to do that day like a lot of professional artists have had people that uh 
are employing them and that they work on a commission and, and do what they're told as opposed to, I think, the idea that some people have in their mind of, of somebody that's an artist is we just go out and kind of do whatever we're moved or we look at a piece of wood and carve away everything that doesn't look like whatever we saw in there. And that's, that's not necessarily a, uh, an accurate depiction. I think that being diligent is the, is the most important thing. It's, uh, the tortoise and the hare, like, and we get so spoiled in the wood carving world because we can grab a saw and we can make something really quick and, uh, and get paid good for it. But the thing that, because it is such a physical job is we can lose it on the consistency end. Uh, but if, if we worked it eight hours a day and we did something that was artistic, that was pushing us, that was making our heart come alive, as opposed to uh, just an assembly line style of production that's trying to turn out maximum dollars for uh, effort put in, then I see something that happens to carvers that's not really good. It there's I think there's better ways out there to make money than carving. And so if you're just doing art for money's sake, um, I, I see people get burned out doing that. And yeah. you you stop spending as much time in it as you would have because it does feel like a job. But if you would have pursued uh, the because the game has to kind of keep you like people are in this because they they like the game. And if it stops becoming a game and it just becomes a job, like if you're just going to work a job, we'll get another job. But I see a lot of guys that are um, that really do well as far as continuing to pursue art and not getting stuck in a rut. And the thing that happens is they don't necessarily need it for paying their bills. They'll have either a second job that they do that pays the bills, or maybe they'll have a supportive spouse, or maybe they're at a stage in life where they, um, where they're not having to balance fiscal responsibility with, with uh, pursuing curiosity in, in art. And that's uh that's a difficult thing that you can't necessarily answer for somebody, but I will say that if you have to do production, try to do a 10 to one ratio at least where out of every 10 pieces you do one, that's just for you to make your heart come alive or have one large piece in your shop that you're working on that um, you keep chipping away at. So when you're doing, you know, production and stuff just for money that your mind is still turning on, on wrestling and grappling with a piece because it, it, the older we get and the longer that we do things, we have this neuroplasticity in our brains that has the ability to conform and to learn but it also has pathways that when you do uh, the the same thing over and over, it, you you actually do get stuck in a rut. Um, not just metaphorically, like your your brain will kind of turn on autopilot, and you'll have habits that just kind of get more and more ingrained, and it'll be more difficult if you're not exercising that muscle of of creativity and and breaking outside of something that that you've done. Um, and sometimes that's helpful when when you're just trying to be diligent to have a, to have designs where you can just put your music on and you're just, you're just doing it. You're just working it like a job, but too much of that. And it, it feels like a job. So. Right. I've actually seen that. I started out um, here in Minnesota. They wanted me to be in quick carve events. Uh-huh. So I started out with the speed thing and I, and since then I've been battling trying to get rid of some of those bad habits. Yeah. <laughs> so I know what you're talking about. Which the speed will come. Uh, a lot of times people, 
people just it's guys that start off they'll they'll try to get fast because they'll see other guys that that do it fast but if you focus on doing the right cuts and learning how to do something with excellence then you have the ability to to speed it up and still do it with excellence but it's it's hard when you're just focusing on speed I, i don't think that that's a good way to to have guys that haven't been carving for maybe at least I want to say two or three years. Like, and that's something that's uh, in this craft. Somebody that's been been doing it for four or five years, if they're starting to get good, they are like on the super fast track. Typically, mm-hmm. it takes you know eight to ten years to really get a grasp on on the sculpture. And and you find people that are accelerated because they come out of some different background or medium that was really conducive to switching over, and they bring those skills into chainsaw carving, but um you learn you learn so much and that it the average person when they get a job it takes them about six months to learn everything there is to know about that job and then they kind of just go on autopilot yeah with chainsaw carving there's just just these oceans of things to learn and after i'm i've been uh in the in the carving world i got apprenticed out when i was 11 years old and i'm 33 currently so that's 22 years of being fairly immersed and I just am aware at, at this point how much I don't know and how much there is still left to be learned. And, uh, and that's pretty exciting to see the, that I haven't even scratched the surface of, of I, I, it, you can't even, cause your imagination really is the limit. And there's things that I'm, I'm known for and that I feel competent in, but that's just such a very small number of things that, uh, that if I'm going to show up to a show and, and try to be impressive to my peers or convince the public that I'm an expert on something, then I'm going to try to stay in that short uh, layer of things that I, I have uh, some authority to speak on. But I'm I'm keenly aware of the vast amounts of knowledge that I haven't yet scratched the surface in, in regards to sculpture. That's kind of cool to hear, just be, being newer in the chainsaw carving world, just knowing because I'm all about just growing and learning and just knowing that that can go on forever. Yeah. That kind of goes along with just keeping, keeping your passion for carving. If you're constantly learning and growing. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I think one of the things that holds you back the most from learning and growing is fear and uh, fear of failure or fear of being uh, found out as uh, a fraud, um, especially because with any artistic gifting, um, whether you do singing or playing an instrument, you can almost line people up on a stage and rank them one through 10 on their ability because it is, it is so vulnerable to put yourself out there. And it seems like the more notoriety that you get in the carving world and the expectations that are put on you, uh, it, it seems like you take less risks or the tendency would be to try to play it safer, especially uh, the more financial responsibility that you have on yourself when you start having kids or a mortgage uh, and the amount of expenses that you have in getting to the show. Especially if you don't have a second job, then you find yourself reverting back to things that you've had success with in the past and instead of jumping out and boldly going where no man has gone before. Uh, and And so if you can be honest about the fears that you have 
and go through what the worst case scenario actually would be. And if you can live with it, I think that uh, taking risks and being vulnerable in your art and putting yourself out there to be ranked and judged and not being afraid of failure is a key recipe to continually growing as an artist. And that's not something that I claim to have mastery over, but it's something that I'm aware of and continue to have conversations with myself about. I think that's really good advice. I know personally, I, I grow the most and, and the most successful when I'm like really uncomfortable and kind of on the verge of, I might not be able to do this. Yeah. And, uh, but I've always been pretty good at, at dealing with that fear for some reason. Like that first time I did a quick carve, it was my third carving. Oh wow. And I was in an arena <laughs> just going for it. And it, yeah. it's probably not maybe smart, but <laughs> yeah, it definitely, if I'm not a little bit nervous or afraid, I feel like I'm not pushing myself enough. That's great. And, and that's one of the things that's really enabled you to grow as fast as you have and to continue to grow is not being afraid to take risks. And something that I've also seen you do, Molly, is to be intentional about going after what it is that you want instead of life just happening to you and taking opportunities that happen to come your way. And that, that's that's uh, something that I would recommend to people is for them to sit down and and define and write down. There's something really powerful in writing something down and uh posting it somewhere where you can take a look at it. Like my goal is to compete in a professional event or my goal is to travel to Australia or Japan or Canada and meet and network with other international sculptors, whatever, whatever it is. And however far that you'd like to take this, then if you've defined what your goal is, then you can be proactive about it and taking a long-term approach as well. Like realizing that you might not get into a show that you're trying to get into for the next couple of years, but, um, but not giving up. And you can only, the, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And if you're not afraid of squeaking and you're going after it, like people eventually, uh, they want to help. They want to help. Um, I, I don't know if they want, I, I'm trying to decide if I agree with what I'm about to say, but I was going to say <laughs> they want to help your, uh, your dreams come true, or at least they want to uh, get you to stop writing or calling or emailing them. One of them <laughs> I mean, but uh, either way, you you ask, you receive not because you ask not. So keep on asking. No, I think that's good advice. I've I've done a lot of asking. I like your your tip too about writing your goals down. I actually have just been talking with my art students about. Um, I don't remember what I was reading, but it was something about writing your goals down and then actually picking up that paper in the morning and saying them out loud. Yeah. Because then as you make decisions throughout the day, you you unconsciously think about those goals that you read and it's it's right there fresh on your mind. So and something I was going to say that <laughs> I feel like has personally held me back is uh I've waited for people to contact me about events or and I haven't done either self-promotion and that may be a false humility to be like, Oh, I don't promote myself. I wait till people contact me and ask me to come to their shows. Uh, but then it also may be, um, a, it may be that fear thing that's holding me back. Maybe there's like a fear of being rejected or a fear of being told no. 
And if I don't ask, then I never have to put myself out there like that. And, and, and just the, the older I get and the more that I realize the way that I'm wired and how fear has held me back as an artist, as a competitor, as a, in relationships, it's, it's some, one of the primary things that I'm, I'm wanting to get out of myself and, and put as a new foundation to build on. Yeah. I know one thing, whether it's true or not, but one thing I always tell myself too, um, like when I get rejected, you know, sometimes it's like, well, they wanted, they had a whole bunch of people from the U S already and they wanted another international or, you know, like a lot of times you feel, you take it so personally and sometimes it is about you or your skill or talent. And sometimes it's not about you at all. And it's more like a political decision or something they needed to do for some other reason. Yeah. So I'm always like, ah, don't take it, don't take it personally. <laughs> right. But it's it's not easy to do. No, it's not. Well, so some of my other questions we kind of covered as we were talking there. Um, well, if you have them written down, you can always ask it, and I might I might have two or three thoughts on the same subject that I may have sure. not, not shared already. So one that I that we kind of covered, I just had down. Um, quantity, quality, or both. And I think you talked about that a little bit, but I don't know if there's anything else you want to say. Yeah. So there's this economic principle called the division of labor, I believe it is. And what it is, is it goes, uh, I think in the 18th century, a man could sit down and he would make these things called hat pins and it would take him a full day to make one hat pin. And they, they got like nine guys together and they divided them up. They divided the steps that it would take to make these hat pins into like nine different steps. So each person had their one thing that they would do. And they were able with that kind of assembly line production style to make something like 17,000 hat pins in one day. And so there's, there's lots of ways that you could, you know, go after the money. Uh, and, but that's, we're, we're more looking at like industrial wood manufacturing, uh, which, if you're doing that, your heart's probably not alive and you may do it for a short season in order to accomplish a goal. But production can be kind of a, a sticky thing once you get once you get into it. I haven't seen a lot of guys that have gone really far into production as far as quantity and had it be good for their uh, either their relationships or their heart. And it can be fun to you know, stand back at the end of the day or put your head to sleep on the pillow and be thinking of the number of things that you got done. Uh, but there's, um, you, you lose something and, and there's a, there's a balance that we have to go through in life between money and relationships. And, uh, you can't, you know, completely ignore money and you can't completely ignore relationships. And you could, you could say the same thing about, art and carving as far as uh your relationship with yourself as a sculptor and as an artist and then also needing to pay the bills and make money and if the pendulum's going to swing one way try to make sure that it swings back to others so at least the bills are getting paid and your your heart is still alive sure and then the next one i was going to ask you is um well i had this quote written down that i often share with my students from chuck close just about um, 
Well, I guess it it goes along with the question that we were just talking about. Inspiration is for amateurs and the rest of us just show up and get to work. Yeah. I know a lot of artists will say to me, well, I'm like, I'm not feeling it or I'm, I'm just not inspired today. And it's, it can be tough to create art when you don't feel it. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I, I heard, uh, I heard it, it put a different way. Um, it said, uh, professional, uh, being a professional means getting to do what you love, whether you feel like it or not. Yeah, I like that one. You talk to a lot of uh, writers and they'll, they'll say that it's the, uh, it's the consistency of showing up and giving yourself the freedom to write 200 crappy words a day or something like that. And mm-hmm. if you're in the habit of going out and, uh, and just getting yourself into it, they say that, you know, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And if you have uh, a thousand mile journey to do each day, just make, get up and make sure that you take one step. But the amount of, um, I don't know what it would be called drive that it takes to think about doing that whole thousand mile journey each day is very difficult. So if you tell yourself, I'll do this for 10 minutes. And if I still don't feel like it, then I'll allow myself to stop. But things in motion tend to want to stay in motion or it's at least a lot easier to garner the willpower to continue doing something if you're already doing it. So, uh, to get out, and start carving and muster the willpower to do that for only 10 minutes. And then if you feel, if you still don't feel like it, you know, allow yourself to stop, but it's easier to conjure the willpower for a 10 minute, um, a 10 minute episode of, you know, just gritting your teeth and making it through it than it is to think, Oh, I got to go work out there for eight hours today. Right. I will say when I'm about to go carving, the hardest part is getting set up and just getting started and it's all mental. Like you said, and then a lot of times once I get going, I just get in the groove and I love it, and I don't know what the big deal was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay, so what advice do you have for carvers who are just getting started and they have all the passion, um, but they want to or need to make money too? Like, do you have any advice for them? Mm-hmm. Uh, well. I want to get a little more general before I get right into carvers. And just this is we may have some people listening to this podcast that aren't necessarily carvers, and we may have some people that listening to this that are carvers that end up going on to do something different with their lives and not stick with carving the whole time. But mm-hmm. I got on a chairlift with I used to do quite a bit of skiing and snowboarding in my younger days. And I ended up on this chairlift with this gal and I said, uh, so what do you do? And she says, uh, I'm a financial advisor. And I said, what kind of advice would you give to a young person? What's the secret to success? And she said, well, the secret to success isn't, isn't hard or complicated. It's just working hard and being honest. And if you work hard and you're honest, then you'll succeed in this world. And, um, you know, as far as the, the money thing, I think that the best thing to do as an artist or a sculptor is to try to stay as debt-free as possible and to eliminate your bills so that you're not out chasing money. And it really is a feast or famine thing of, uh, you know, like in the summertime, you can make good money. And then in the wintertime, there's a slower season. So mm-hmm. you have to understand the rhythms and the flows of, of, of being self-employed and being able to make hay while the sun shines. Um, but then also having faith in, working hard and being honest and being being honest about what it is that you actually need to live and survive like 
we I heard this story about Elon Musk that um, before he was considering being an entrepreneur, he I think he lived on on he had food for a month for thirty dollars or something like that with with the rate of inflation that might be the, the equivalent of sixty dollars living off of sixty dollars for one month today. And once once the fear of lack is taken away from you and you realize that you can live on like sixty bucks a month, it might not be glamorous, but it's survival, then it takes away this this uh this need to underbid jobs or this need to um to do things that you don't feel like doing and go directions that you don't feel like would be good to go in art or specifically underbidding things <clears throat> if you it seems like with custom orders that you underbid them and then you over deliver them and then you're nervous about them the whole time. And I would just, and sometimes when you're a small, when you're a small business or you're a sculptor with bills, you just, you end up needing to take these jobs out of necessity. And, uh, if you can try to avoid your monthly payments and bring your bills down and live within your means, that's one of the biggest keys that I would tell somebody that's interested in, in that. And then, uh, yeah, try to try to figure out how you could live for sixty dollars a month on food because I mean it's possible to be done. There's just a huge portion of the world's population that lives on less than two dollars a day, um, and that might not necessarily be in Western society. But when you look at the worst possible case scenario and realize that there's survival on the other side of it, then that should at least for me it takes away my fear and I could do something because typically the worst case scenario that we can come up with doesn't end up happening but sometimes staying hungry as an entrepreneur and as a business owner like there's something about being hungry that and i'm not talking necessarily physical hunger although you know that's a great motivator as well but when you have that drive inside of you or that that feeling of uh just just the question that you're asking like when, when that question's in your mind you know you put in the extra hours and you you are a sponge to learn yeah yeah i might have to check into this grocery thing my husband and i were just talking about the grocery bills and how crazy food is getting yeah yeah i um the one thing and this is probably a bad statement to make on on what i just said is i i used to uh to not eat very like quality food um and the older that i've gotten i mean we really are what we eat and you can, I think there's a myth of healthy eating being so, so much more expensive than like a, a junk food or a fast food diet or whatever it is that, uh, that we typically eat in America. But if you get a bag of apples and some carrots, like there, there's healthy things that you can do with fruits and vegetables and, and bananas that aren't necessarily like a break the bank kind of situation to get fresh produce in your diet. And, uh, this is a very physically demanding and difficult job that if you're not putting the right nutrients into your body and you're expecting a high octane performance out, that that's just not a very sustainable, um, formula that it's, it's good to take care of your body as far as like, if, if I was talking to somebody that was just starting out, I would give them the safety talk. I would say, wear a dust mask, uh, where your chaps, the, there's this fungus and these mold spores and you can develop allergies and 
get all these things in your system that are very detrimental over the long run, especially if you're going to stay in this for a long time. It's uncomfortable. I'm not always the best at doing it, but I'm, I'm trying to get better at wearing a dust mask, wearing protection. I've seen guys that have carved for over 20 years and end up cutting themselves. The average, like 75% of chainsaw injuries happen to your left thigh, and the average chainsaw injury in the emergency room is $5,400, and the average pair of chaps is like 50 bucks. So wear your chaps, wear gloves. You don't want to get your hand caught up in there. You know, wear safety boots, put your uh, ear protection on. It's it's not cool when you see these older guys that didn't wear their ear protection. They can't hear in a conversation. You don't want to be that guy. Like always wear your ear protection when you're running a chainsaw. And um, if you see me doing it without, like feel free to come over and, and let's all try to develop a culture that, that has safety at the forefront and as far as stretching like we we lift a lot of heavy logs and stuff i saw somebody over in the uk was using a hula hoop before they started at a show oh yeah i went out and bought a hula hoop when i got home and sometimes i will use it to you know just loosen up engage your core get those lower back muscles warmed up before you get out there and start carving yeah i know this was Quite a few years ago, but when I went out to the Ridgeway Rendezvous, they had somebody there doing yoga with everybody in the morning. Yeah. And it was it was pretty funny to see all the chainsaw carvers doing yoga. Yeah. And I think they thought it was funny at first too, but everybody agreed that they felt better. So that was kind of cool. This is all this is all really good advice. And uh being that it's summer and I'm about to hit the road for some carving events too, we might need to do a podcast on how to eat healthy when you're on the road because <laughs> that's that's when I struggle I can eat healthy at home and then I hit the road and all bets are off <laughs> no it, it's difficult and you have to be intentional about it but it's something that's worth being intentional for yeah so is there anything else that you want people to know about this topic you know of keeping your heart alive like as an artist or a carver or what have we not covered that you still want to say I would say the the first thing that you need to do is to make meaning and and have it be beyond money because money will only motivate a person so far and it's it's obviously something that we need in in life uh one of the things that as I'm learning this about myself uh that I've taken a a, a turn in in the the way that I'd like to go and and how I would like to make meaning is um uh, rebranding my business, uh, family tree carvings and, uh, using the proceeds or a portion of the proceeds, uh, from chainsaw carving to help fund adoptions and, uh, try to help place kids, uh, with families that want to adopt them, but aren't necessarily able to afford the financial transition. And, uh, when you are doing something that, that is meaningful beyond just paying the bills, and that you can bring your customer base into that. That that's uh, that's something that's really that's really special. Um, and it's it's a way that we can build a legacy that uh, that gives each day. I mean, it, it, at some point, it's it's not just oh, I just made another piece and I just sold another piece, and all the money goes back into food and the gas tank, and you know all the bills are paid at the end of the year, and we're not sure where all that money went, but uh, 
over the course of a lifetime, if you have a long-term perspective of actually being able to take your talent and make a difference in the world, that you're going to, it might not seem so important when you're young, but when you, when you start um, getting, getting at the stage in life where you're contemplating what you've actually accomplished and what you're most proud of, I think that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of satisfaction in knowing that one day you're going to leave this world and that it will have been a better place because of some choices that you made and the way that we are blessed in, in this uh, culture and society that what are we going to do with that blessing? And uh, that's, that's something that I would just ask people to, to look at in is why they're doing what they're doing beyond just paying the bills. And uh, that that's going to look different for everybody. And um, I wouldn't say that I've arrived on this journey, but that's something that, my heart does connect with is helping fund adoptions. That's cool. That's great advice to give people just to think about and consider. I know as I get older, I'm constantly thinking about that like legacy and and what I'm doing because I've had some great role models in my life that have done incredible things. So it makes you think about what you're doing. Yeah. Well, so I really appreciate you being here today and talking about you know, earning money and still keeping your heart alive. Um, yeah. I, I hope I get to see you sometime this summer on the road. And I, oh, I, I always, I always enjoy seeing you and then seeing the amount of progress that you've made. Um, it's, it's always encouraging and it's fun to, to feel like we're a big uh, international family of affection and, and that we get to see each other on our journeys of, of growing up and, and pushing each other to be better. So it, it's, uh, I'll look forward to seeing you sometime this summer as well. Yeah. And it's so great that everybody just picks up where they left off, you know, like I haven't seen some people for a year or two and it's still great being together. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks Steve. Thank you, Molly. Have a great summer. All right. We'll see ya. Chainsaw carving is an amazing form of art. That's really pushing the boundaries of what art is and where art can or should be. I hope that this podcast helps artists to grow in their craft and also helps us chainsaw carvers to feel more connected, even when a lot of us are isolated and don't really have any other carvers around. I just really want to thank Steve for taking this maiden voyage with me and kind of figuring it out as we go. I've never done a podcast before. Um, We'll keep working out the kinks and things will get better as we do more and more of these. If you enjoyed the podcast, we can eventually get some better recording equipment. So make sure you share it, like it, review it, um, so we know if we should make more of them. Uh, Thanks for listening, and if everything goes well, we should have another episode out in July.